All right, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome each week the men and women at the Orleans Justice Center, St. Tammany Parish Jail. I want to welcome all of our campuses, Baton Rouge, South Shore, New Campus at Bay St. Louis, and Biloxi. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us? And we're excited. So we are kicking off a brand new series. And the series is entitled, Be Happy. Let me tell you why we're talking about that. By the way, it's because it's what everybody's looking for. Everybody, whether they're in church, out of church, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, everybody. Matter of fact, if you had kind of a man or a woman on the street deal where you had somebody interviewing you, you know, we used to do those, by the way. We'd interview people just randomly, you know, at different places. If somebody stopped and said, excuse me, excuse me, can you come here? Can you give me... What is the definition of happiness? You'd get a whole bunch of answers. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, can you come here just for a minute? Can you, can you just tell me, well, what does happiness mean to you? Uh, happiness is, uh, it's kind of like uh, when, I, when I accomplish something, I feel good. Or, uh, uh, matter of fact, I asked a guy one time, define happiness for me. He says, well, it's, it's about experiences. You know, it's, I just like experiences when I feel happy when I have positive experiences. Question, can you feel happy if you don't have positive experiences? Can you feel happy if you don't accomplish and achieve things? What if you're unable to? What if you're at the point of your life where you, you physically are not able to accomplish what you previously did? Quote, can you still be happy? So question, what is happiness? What is your definition of happiness? Could it be, could it be that all of us could experience independent of our environment, independent of the challenges that we're facing? And that's the caveat. Because we can all feel good if things are going good. But if there's some trials, some troubles, some tribulations, come on, work with me. Any more teas? I know there's a whole bunch in there, right? Turmoil. When that happened, oh, by the way, Pastor, a Be Happy series, when I got this in the mail, I thought to myself, come on, Pastor, do you know what's going on in our world? Challenges everywhere. Absolutely, I do. That's why we need to understand what the Bible teaches about this topic right now, more than ever. What if it was about a shift? What if happiness for you and I and the attainment of it, I'm not talking about just, you know, two days a week, but every day. What if, what if our experience of happiness was based upon a shift? A shift of perspective. I love teaching through the Bible. I love teaching books of the Bible, different topic things in the Bible, and Matter of fact, I I was thinking about this series and uh, Jennifer and I were sent across the lake 21 years ago by our pastor in Metairie to start this church. And I've taught a lot of different topics. And if you've been around here for a while, a lot of different topics. And I've taught out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. It's actually three chapters. It's a long, very long, lots of stuff in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. But I realized 
this past year that the first part of that, the Beatitudes, everybody say Beatitudes. I'd never taught a series on that. I'd mention it from time to time, but where I really began to unpack it. And as I began to understand and, and, and study afresh, the Beatitudes are the beginning part of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever did. Very powerful sermon. And the first part of that sermon is the Beatitudes. Now, for those of you that have been to Israel, for those of you that have been to Israel, there, there are two things that come to our mind when you think about Israel. Number one, uh, and even today, if somebody said, well, tell me about Israel. You, people have a picture of first, Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, they have this picture of, you know, maybe on the news or something. And we often zone, kind of focus in on the Dome of the Rock. There's a, there's a, there's a golden top on a mosque, which is an Islamic mosque, right in the center of Jerusalem. We think about that, which is where the old city of Jerusalem, the walls and all that. And that was built about 500 years ago. So we think immediately of that. Or the second is we think about a beautiful region, a, a different region. It's actually the northern part of Israel. And there's a sea involved. Does anybody know what the sea is? Say it. It's the sea of what? Say it. Galilee. And it's a beautiful place. I, I grew up in South Louisiana, so when I think of lakes and seas, of course, my frame of reference, just like yours, would be Lake Pontchartrain, right? I mean, how many of you guys grew up and say, you know, your friend visits and says, this is the longest bridge in the world, okay? We, we all talk about that. I'll never forget when I went to Israel the first time, and I looked at this sea, they call a sea, it's really a lake, and it's only seven miles long. And it's only two miles wide. You know, you want to feel proud where you're from. I'm like, our lake's bigger than your lake. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I mean, much bigger. But it's a beautiful place. I remember one afternoon walking around with our group. And I've been on tours. And I've had the opportunity to lead Bible tours there. And I remember just walking around that side of the mountainside. There's a beautiful mountainside. It's actually surrounded by, but there's a particular side where there's a church that's commemorating what I'm about to teach on. And there's a, there's kind of a lower part where this church is built. And as you look up the side and we had, I had the opportunity to go with Dr. Jack Hayford to Israel, which was incredible when he taught. He's still alive. He's close to 90. And, and he began to teach, began to teach out of the, this passage. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. I am so fired up to be able to teach Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. The beginning of that is the Beatitudes. Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount right as his ministry is beginning. His popularity is growing. He's recently come out of the temptation of the wilderness. In the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, there's other things that we've The Lord's Prayer is found in there as well. There's lots of other things, parables, different things, but, but it's this beginning part. It's often the beginning of a message. It's the beginning of a sermon, the beginning of a talk that somebody has. There's something unique. There's something that's, that's special. And as Jesus begins, he gives what I want to say to you guys is, and what I would consider is eight attitude checks right up front. And he uses a term for those of you that 
are new to Christianity or checking this thing out, uh, I want to explain to you the Bible is divided into really two major sections. One is the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And as Jesus begins to go down and begin to speak this, I'm going to unpack one of the words that are really important to this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12. Think about eight attitude checks, the pathway to happiness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Here's what the scripture says. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, bless it. Everyone say, bless it. Very important word I'll unpack in a moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. By the way, I'm going to teach you about that next week. What does it mean to biblically mourn? The Bible talks about rejoice with those who rejoice, but to weep with those who weep. What does it mean? Is there a biblical concept of mourning and grieving? Does the scripture teach that? Or is that just a present 21st century psychological phenomenon you hear in a counselor's office? Is it biblical to grieve and to mourn? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pastor Steve, I, I still struggle and, with sin and with, 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 with issues. And yet the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. Does, the, does that mean sinless? We're going to unpack that week four or five. I'm going I'm to talk about what the Bible teaches. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Wow. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. We read here that Jesus was having apparently a dialogue and teaching to the multitudes. By the way, we see this throughout the gospels where he's gathering with the multitudes, and then subsequent to that, his disciples come up to him. And his disciples come up to him and lean in and press in. And it was very characteristic of the teachings of Jesus where he would often teach the multitudes. Everyone say the multitudes, but then say the disciples. And here it is, the disciples come, and, and, and the in, indication is, is that the multitudes were down a little bit lower, and, the, and, they, and they actually go up the mountainside a little bit. The disciples lean in. They want more understanding. Rabbi, Jesus was a Jewish teacher, a, a rabbi, and, and his ministry was just growing and just expanding, and, 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 and the disciples were being trained. Jesus knew that he would only be them, with them for a short time, for three years, and that that moment of his departure was going to come very quickly, and he had to put into them it was so important for them to carry out this message. Jesus began to redefine for them a common theme, regardless of the language that it was, or linguistically, however it was said in the culture, whether Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, there's a concept, the concept has been with us from the beginning of time, 
The philosophers talked a lot about it, and it's the concept of happiness. What is happiness? Is happiness a mindset? Is happiness an emotion? Is happiness a, a chemical release in the body? Is it all three? Is it a spiritual state that you get in? And Jesus began to redefine for them this concept of happiness. It's interesting, the word blessed, everyone say blessed. Blessed actually is translated happy. So when you are reading this, you could actually say it this way. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek. And I think you can follow along. Happy. So, so Jesus begins to redefine for the disciples that the pathway to enduring happiness, not just based upon an experience or an event. In other words, not just when you hit it out the park, not just when you close a deal. I had a guy tell me one time, I was having a conversation, he said, he goes, Pastor, he says, I'll just be honest. When everything's right in my business, and everything's right in my marriage, and everything's right with my kids, I just, I feel so happy. And I said, how often is that the case? He goes, not often. Can we be honest? Question, is it possible for you to experience biblical happiness when you're not hitting it over the fence, when things are not going the way you want. I'm gonna make a couple claims and a couple statements that I think are important to upfront our discussion because you know, I've never taught eight weeks. Actually, I think the book of Revelations, I did eight weeks. I, this is gonna be an interesting series because I'm gonna teach for six weeks all through Lent on the Beatitudes. Then we're gonna have Easter weekend, which is gonna be powerful. And then the weekend after that, I've actually got a guest speaker. It's gonna be teaching on marriage. Pastor Jimmy Evans, I'll just tell you that. And, and then, and I'm gonna be here, it's gonna be a fantastic, he's a body of Christ leader on family and marriage. And then, and then I'm actually gonna come after that and finish up the last two attributes that Jesus teaches. I'll do week seven and week eight. So it's gonna stretch over nine weeks. And I wanna make it up front, a couple statements up front. I think it's important. You guys ready? This is not to be a shock value statement, it's a biblical concept. So we're talking about the Beatitudes. We're talking about living the Beatitudes, the pathway to happiness. Now, here's the first statement. You guys ready? It is impossible in our own strength to live out the Beatitudes. Let me say it another way. It is impossible to live the Beatitudes. Boom, let me stop right there. Second statement. There's only one person that can actually live the Beatitudes, and his name is Jesus. Well, Pastor, I'll see you in two months. I guess we're out. I, I don't know what to say. Jeez. Third statement. Christianity is much more than just being forgiven of your sin. A lot of people have a misunderstanding. Oh, Christianity, I understand Christianity. Oh, Christianity is about, it's about being forgiven of your sin. Absolutely, but that's only base one. You're not just a forgiven sinner. You've also been given a gift. And it's the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that spirit, the spirit of Christ living in you wants to empower you to live out this life. Hey, by the way, Paul said it this way in the book of Galatians. I love this. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. When was Paul crucified? 
Was he, what does that mean? Was he like on one of those crosses that day where there's Jesus? Was he, was he on Golgotha and somehow was he, was he physically, how, what does that mean? I believe it means when Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, he's writing to the church at Galatians. He says, he's simply saying to them that, that when I trust to Christ as my Savior, watch this, I gave over the reins of my life. I surrendered control to Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Watch this. It is no longer I that lives. Question. When Paul wrote this, please don't miss this. This is the key to living the Beatitudes. When Paul wrote this, was he alive? Yes or no? Answer is what? Was he physically alive? The answer is yes or no? Yes. Then what does it mean? It is no longer I that lives. Of course he lives physically. What he meant was, spiritually speaking, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The Christian life is not just about forgiveness. It's about empowerment from Christ himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Some of you have been trying to change yourself for so many years, and that's the problem. You can't change yourself. Christ changes you. He empowers you. He's the one that works on you. Paul says, it's, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh. Do we live in the flesh? Yes, we live in an earth suit. The life I now live in the flesh. Well, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's Christ in me. Wow, pastor. So what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. That Jesus gives us the parameters of a happy life, but then he gives us the power to fulfill that life. You have, as a born-again believer, the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's Christ living through you. That's biblical Christianity. That's the empowerment that you and I are looking for. So, what are we going to be talking about over the next eight weeks? We're going to be talking about the patterns, the parameters, the principles of, 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 of this whole understanding of, quote, the Beatitudes. But we're going to live with the mindset that it's Christ living through us, that, that he is empowering us, that he is, he is encouraging us. He, he, is, he is the one that is giving us the strength to do it. Now, my last concept, then I'll jump into I'll jump into the first beatitude. It's interesting when you think about the word attitude. Where did you get that from? Pastor, where did you guys, like, like where did the word attitude come from? Didn't that come from a man named Zig Ziglar? Maybe you think that. The beatitudes actually, scholars and theologians over the years began to talk about, and they began to equate this front section of the Sermon on the Mount as, as attributes qualities and, and, and an attitude over time became, became known as what you think and what you feel about God, about life, about others, about your purpose. So in other words, it's, it's your mindset, it's what you think, it's what you feel and what you choose. It all came together. So your attitude is what you think, it's what you feel, and it's what you, it is what you choose. And you do have a choice, by the way. You have a choice. So when trials come, a tribulation comes, sometimes it's, it's less trivial, it's, 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 or it's, it's trivial. Sometimes it's like, I don't get a parking spot. Oh, that's a bummer. Or, man, I didn't quite get the grade. Oh, that's a little bit heavier. Or it can be trauma, something heavy in somebody's life. Something hits you. S trouble comes. But you and I have a choice. Do you know what differentiates you and I from animals? The Imago Dei, made in the image of God. 
You and I are not animals. We are made in the image of God, the likeness of God, and the dominion of God. You know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. It means that you and I are moral creatures, that we're not just led by appetite and instinct, but we can make choices to improve our lives as we follow God. We, we, we have the power to choose. You and I have the power to choose. I'll never forget as a young man, I, I read a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Stephen Covey, and, and, I, and I listened to this tape series actually a bunch of times, and, and, and I'll never forget one of the things that he said. He said, this is such a powerful point. Here's what he said. He says, you and I have been influenced by our past, but we're determined by our choice. We are, not, we are not determined by our upper. Some of you guys, listen, everybody's got a past. Everybody's had tough times. Some more trauma than others. But that's not who defines you. God defines you, and every day you have a choice. Everyone say, I have a choice. You, you have a choice. You, you have a choice to... Here it is. Trouble hits you. Life hits you. And it hits you. You have a choice. You can go Christ's way. You can do it God's way. Or you can do it the world's way. You have a choice to choose Christ's character. His attributes. His kingdom. And the result is blessing and happiness. Or we can choose it the world's way. The world's way. And it results in fear and frustration and sorrow. Everybody say, I have a choice. We live in a culture of victimization. Where we want to obfuscate, to circumvent responsibility. We're everybody else's problem. So I am where I am because of you. You made me that way. No, no, you didn't. I'm made in the image of God. And wherever it is that I am, wherever you may find yourself, you can choose. Everyone say, I have a choice. Under the authority of Christ, I have a choice. I have a choice. I'm a human being. I'm made in the image of God. I'm a moral creature. I have a choice to follow the path of righteousness. Or I have a choice to follow a path of sorrow. Wow. Pastor Steve, man, this is, this is going to be quite a series. I, I never realized all this stuff was in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And thus we begin. The first attribute that I want to look at is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Notice each one of the sentences is structured in a certain way. The first word is blessed or happy. Everyone say happy. Then there's mentioned an attribute. And then after that, watch this, with that is a promise of reward. There's an attribute that there is then a promise and reward of what? In eternal life and in the life here and now. There is a promise and a reward for eternity, but there's a promise and a reward for today. The, the Bible's not just about securing our eternity. It's also about empowering us in the present. Can you imagine, just for a moment, if we begin to live the Beatitudes in our families, what would happen to our families? How about our workplaces? How about our church? Oh, gosh, how about the nation? Oh, wow, Pastor. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed. Everyone say blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Without being poor in spirit, we cannot live out any of the other beatitudes. Jesus is declaring, if you want to experience my kingdom, 
The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. If you want to experience the rule and reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is not just in the future. It's in the here and now. It's We can walk in the kingdom now. We can live in the kingdom of God now. It has an eternal perspective, but it also has a an, an earthly reality. We can live in the kingdom. You and I are kingdom citizens. We belong to a different kingdom. Paul says we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of light. <clears throat> you and I live in a different kingdom. Jesus is laying down a very important principle here, an attribute, a trait. And he said all other, all other aspects of the Beatitudes, please don't miss this, friends, don't, don't miss this. He said this, this first attribute is so important because if you get this one, it underpins all the rest. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is not saying and equating this to financial poverty. All of you and I know people that are rich, that are humble, or rich and are prideful. We all know people that are poor and humble, but are poor financially and are prideful. It's not an issue of economics. It's an issue of the attitude of the heart. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What do I mean by that? What do I believe Jesus means by that? It's those that are humble. They recognize their need for God. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's those that recognize their need. It's those that recognize that they were made by God, for God, to walk with God. And they recognize their need for God. Their need for God. It's hard to admit need in our culture. But we have a need for God. Not only a need for God, we have a need for one another. God has made you with gifts and talents and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. God didn't give you the whole enchilada. Come on, all my people. Y'all know Mexican food isn't going to be served in heaven. It's in the book of Revelation. You're going to have to go listen to my series. I don't have time to unpack it. Y'all with me? But God has made us given us strengths, but he's also given us weaknesses. That's where a lot of marriage problems come in because we don't understand that our spouse compliments us and they're strong where you're weak and you're weak where they're strong. Nobody's got the whole package. Are y'all with me? So I've got to admit that I need God, but not only do I need God, I've got to admit that I need other people. Matter of fact, God didn't make me, watch this. We love the word independent. That's a misnomer. You're not independent. You are interdependent. You need people you need God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You ever work with somebody that never admits their need? I had a guy one time, a business owner in our church, he goes, man, I got this guy that works for me. He may be the smartest person I've ever had work. He's a genius. I said, well, man, that's amazing. He says, the problem is he doesn't get along with anybody. He can't connect with anybody. He doesn't work with anybody. I said, what are you going to do? And I'm getting to, I want to try this, try that. He goes, he goes, the guy's, he goes, here's the word. He says, he's so smart. I, he goes, I don't think he thinks that he actually needs anybody. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Who models this greater than anybody? Who modeled that in the, in the scripture that had the d- divine prerogative to do whatever he wants at any, he had all the strength, all the wisdom, all the power, all the resources, and yet he chose to humble himself. It's Jesus. He's the model. Philippians chapter two, Jesus lived this so well, he was poor in spirit. Nobody did it better. 
James chapter, or Philippians chapter two, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He says, let this mind, some of you have in your Bibles, let this attitude, let this attitude, what attitude? What is an attitude? It's what you think, it's what you feel, and it's what you choose combined together. That's your attitude. Let this attitude, what attitude, pastor? Let this attitude be in you. What attitude? The attitude that was in Christ. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. If there's anybody that was entitled to whatever he wanted, it's Jesus. And yet he chose. Everybody say, I have a choice. Don't, don't forget that. You have a choice. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and given, gave him a name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'll say this, pride is natural. It's easy for us to be prideful. It comes very natural. Humility is unnatural. But Christ in me can produce that. I, I, my, my, it's funny, my, my son, my oldest son, when he was little, he used to dress up for church and he would want to wear like his, his, his Christmas jacket. It's the most amazing thing. And he would like literally, I mean, three and four years old, he'd put on this blazer and he, would, he knew how to tie a tie like at four. And, and he had a bow tie, and so he'd come to church. And now his other brother didn't, didn't, couldn't care less. But he's, and so we, when you tried to help my son, he would literally say this to him. And he would say, I do it all by myself. <laughs> no, bro, let me, let me help you out, you know. And it, no, I can do it by myself. No, no, I want to help you out. I can do it myself. I went, I could really help you with that. How I many of you know God is looking down and we're going, I do it all by myself. <laughs> I know my marriage is terrible and everything's a mess and my business, I do it myself. I know you're up there and you're the creator of the heavens and the earth and you spoke things. <laughs> You'll never forget that analogy, by the way. That was funny. <laughs> I, um, I read a book years ago, and it was a book by a man named Jim Collins, and the book was called Good to Great. Some of you in the business world, you've read Jim. As, I, don't, I don't know if he's a believer per se, but he had tremendous insight, and he, and he wrote this book called Good to Great, and he basically evaluated companies that lasted generationally, and they went like, Decade after decade after decade. And so it's companies that went from good to great on a decadal chart. Decades. How they just, they, and it was interesting when he evaluated the primary leader, the point leader, the CEO. And what he found was that there were two qualities that these CEOs had. Now, I know what some of us would think. You know, those that, you know, lead these huge, powerful companies, charismatic personality. It's actually just the opposite. They had two qualities. One was they were deeply humble. And number two is they were deeply resolved. Humility 
and and indomitable will. Their strong resolve to the goals of the company. But they were deeply humble. They recognized their need. I had the opportunity in 2002, I think it was, 2001 or two, I, I had the opportunity to have breakfast along with 20 other pastors with Dr. Bill Bright. For those of you that don't know Dr. Bill Bright, he is... He was the founder of 1951. He started uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called CRU, C-R-U. The largest Christian missions organization in the world. Over a billion or two billion dollars of revenue. I think there's 30,000 missionaries. Many of you, if I ask for a show of hands, all of our campuses, many of you were touched by Christ in a college campus through a Campus Crusade for Christ or CRU Bible study. So we're talking about a mega leader, huge leader. And he's now in his 80s and I was invited and we went to Orlando and he lived in this beautiful apartment and his wife opened the door in service. They had a couple other people there and and there was 20 of us that walked into this apartment and we all just kind of stood around and people were taking their seats. They sat people and they sat me right next to him. I thought... This is where they put the bad kids next to the teacher. You know, as a kid, I was always next to the teacher. I know y'all are a lot better than I was, but I would just write, keep my eye on you. But anyway, I want you to think about this. He's probably responsible for more people that have been born again. The Jesus film, anybody ever heard of that? That was developed by millions of people. And as we're there, he's got an oxygen tube and he's in his 80s and he's got a tank next to him. And he's, I mean, he's actually died a couple months after this. And as we're eating breakfast, he reached over and he put his hand on top of my hand. And he started rubbing my hand and he looked at me. He goes, he goes, Steve, you're gonna, you're gonna do great things for God. He goes, yes. He says, but don't ever forget. It's the wonderful love of Jesus. He is your maker. He is your master. Steve, it's not about your church. It's about Jesus. Humble yourself before God. Stay on. And he's, oh, you're going to do great things for God. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting there crying. I felt like I'm in the presence of Moses, you know, or Jesus. <laughs> I thought, he's just in any moment. <laughs> I'm crying. As a matter of fact, I've never said this publicly. Rick Pizzetti is one of my people I look up to. It was so, so much of God was there. Rick Pizzetti got on the ground and started crying out to God. The whole group, the next thing you know, because there was such an aura and a presence of God. But there was two things. He talked about being committed to the Great Commission. But he talked about humbling yourself before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Pastor, what do I do every morning? I, I want to make sure to walk in the fullness of God's kingdom. I, wanna, I, I want the kingdom of God. I, I want the beatitudes in my family. I want it in my business. I want it in my church. Uh, every area. Pastor Steve, what I do? Here's three questions that we need. Three prayers or questions every morning we need to say to Jesus. You guys ready? Here it is. Number one, three questions to Jesus. Because he is the model. He is the model. 
Number one, Jesus, what do you want to do for me? What do you want to do in me today? I should have changed four to in. Jesus, what do you want to do in me today? Jesus, what do you want to take out of me? Jesus, what do you want to put into me? That's what this two months is about. There's things in my character that they've got to change for me to be the husband I need to be, for me to be the dad, for me to be the pastor. That's a scary prayer. Jesus, what do you, what do you want to take out of me? What do you want to put in me? Yeah. Philippians 2, 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I wrote, we live in an entitled world screaming, what about me? The truth is we have nothing apart from God. Let us learn each day to set aside what we think and deserve to receive what God knows that we need. God, produce in me your character. Number two, the second question to Jesus every day. Jesus, what can I do for others? Philippians 2.7, but made himself of no reputation. <laughs> I want to be so careful saying this. We have such... I know people are into marketing, advertising. I know there's people at all different, and I understand appropriate image management. I understand rep, you want to have a good reputation, but we put so much on the external today, don't we? So much. And yes, we need to present, I, but, but boy, we make it so much about ourselves. I'll never forget, I, I, I've never said this before. I, I told a guy one time, I said, um, I said, man, I'm struggling this and this and this. I don't know what's going on. I just feel like it. And I just, I had this thought. And I have a problem often, I'm getting better, of saying what I think. And he goes, what do you think my problem is? I said, hey, what do you think I need to do? And I said, you really want to know? I said, you need to break up with yourself. You're infatuated with yourself. Really? I said, Yeah. It's not that we deny our needs. It's not that we, that we don't exist. But man, can you make it a little bit about God? How about about your spouse? How about about your kids? How about about your friends? Are y'all with me? You ever been around somebody that's about them versus somebody that makes it about others? How many of y'all want to be around somebody that makes it about others? Come on, are y'all with me or not? Jesus laid aside his divine prerogative where he could have taken whatever he wanted. But he took a towel. To model for us, Jesus, here it is. Jesus, what do you want to do in me today? That's what we're asking the next eight weeks. There's some things I want God to take out, but there's things that I know God wants to put in. Two, who do you want me to think about today? What can I do for somebody else today? Three, what's my first step of obedience? First step, first step, first step of obedience. Jesus is not asking us to die on the cross. He's done that, but he may ask you to write an apology letter to somebody in your family. He's not asking you to die on the cross. He's already done that. But he is maybe going to ask you to be honest and go see a counselor because those things that's kept you hooked from your past need to come off. I don't know what it is. Your first, your first step of obedience is not my first step. But we all have a step. Y'all with me? How many of y'all want to grow in the character of Jesus these next two months? Come on. Y'all want to grow in God? I do.
Everybody say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, this adventure that we're beginning, as we go to your word, we know that your word is spirit and is life. Lord, I'm asking that you would take out of my life the things that need to be taken out. And Lord, that you'd put in the things that need to be put in. And that I would grow in you, that we would all grow. Lord, as their pastor, I join my faith with those that are listening, all of our campuses. Lord, I'm asking that you would teach us how to live out the Beatitudes as you live through us. It's a choice. Christ's way or the world's way. Teach us to go your way. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here to pray for anyone that needs prayer. If you need Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. Let me pray a blessing. Father, I pray a blessing over your people, every man, woman, boy, and girl. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill them and empower them with your presence as they go forth this day. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, we give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, we bless the Lord. We love you guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a great start to our Be Happy series. That's right. We're so thankful that you guys are here. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you've never done our next steps, really taking that next step and getting connected to the church, ultimately so you can grow in your relationship with God, I highly encourage you to do that. Um, to get more information and even to register, whether it's an in-person or an online next step class, um, just text the word CONNECT to the number 822-822. We'd love to see you there. We'd also love to hear from you throughout the week. You can join our church online Facebook group, or you can always email online at churchtheking.com. We'd love to pray with you and hear how God is speaking to you. That's right, guys. So, hey, have a great week, and we'll see you next week at church.